How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 222 of X-Lapsed, where if I were to take a page out of Marvel's voodoo numbering handbook here, this could be X-Lapsed legacy number 275. If we were to include the Sunday specials, the essentials, the Merry X-Lapsed week, um, yeah, 275 episodes of this program. How, uh, how crazy is that? Uh, Today we've got our penultimate chapter of the Hellfire Gala, thankfully. Also, thankfully, it's Way of X, and that's a book that we love. So let's get right into it. It's Way of X number three, August 2021 cover date. The story is called, and it's a a very clever name, Joy of X, which I gotta imagine is a uh, reference to The Joy of Sex, the, uh, the book from... I want to say late 60s, early 70s, uh, that was that caused a little bit of a stir back in the long ago. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about um, fornication and procreation and stuff like that today. Uh, written by Cy Spurrier, Art Bob Quinn, colors Java, Java Tartaglia, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Andrews Ballesteros, White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, went on sale June 23 of 2021. Now, we open with a sort of kind of info page here. It's a note from Professor X to all the mutant attendees of the Hellfire Gala. He basically asks them to be on their best behavior around the humans, uh, while reminding them of the three Krakoan demandments. And, of course, that's make more mutants, respect this sacred land, and uh, kill no man. Really not sure why he'd have to mention the make more mutants bit here, because that doesn't have much of anything to do with their homo sapien guests, but uh, it will be the thing that this issue focuses on all the same. Double page spread, roll call cred. We got Nightcrawler, Dr. Nemesis, Legion, Pixie, Loa, Mercury, Stacy X, huh, Lost, and Fabian Cortez. Now we open with a couple of pages of Nightcrawler getting sloshed and smashed at the gala. And, you know, we have been seeing this play out through many of the uh, other issues at this point. We've been seeing a panel of Nightcrawler just drunkenly slurring or trying to trying to get someone's attention, trying to preach to them, and, uh, well, we're going to get the quick and dirty of it right here. And we don't have any timestamps here, which makes it a little bit difficult. Uh, something I was planning on doing as we started the Hellfire Gala was to try to put everything in order, you know, according to timestamps. Not all the books use them, though, so it's, uh, it would kind of be a lot of guessing <laughs> for, for at least half of the uh, events here, and, you know, probably probably not even worth the time. Um, so we start with uh, Kurt arriving at the gala, and he accepts his first of many drinks from a Jamie dupe. Uh, we then see him drunkenly preaching to Pixie, Magic, and probably a celebrity I'm supposed to recognize. 
Then he's chatting up the also-drunk nanny, and we saw that in Hellions. Then he tries to wrestle a live mic from Dazzler in order to start preaching at everyone. Dazzler stops him. Then he's chatting up a few folks when he's pushed out of the way by Beast, which we just saw in Wolverine. Then he's having a chat with North Star and Kyle about, uh, you know, making more mutants. Now Kyle feels that this law is a little too heteronormative, and, uh, well, I, I really can't think of a retort to that. Uh, Kyle also mentions that he thinks Megan is knocked up since she hasn't had a drink all night. And so Kurt bamfs over to Megan in order to drunkenly tell her that he's happy for her, and also that he's completely over her. Uh, we saw this scene kind of play out in Excalibur. Later still, Kurt sees the Mars fireworks show, and he thinks he's seeing Onslaught. Then, Call Me Kate pulls Kurt off to a corner so he can sleep it off. We finally see him slump down while Magneto and the Scarlet Witch dance in the background, which we just saw in the pages of Sword. So, quite a night for our fuzzy elf in it. But then, morning comes, and Nightcrawler is wickedly hungover. He calls into Nemesis to see if, you know, what a fool he might have made of himself the night before, and also see if he's got uh, any sort of hangover cure. Nemesis is at the Green Lagoon working on some research, like he does, and he's also sniping at Dazzler, like he does, and Dazzler is uh, sitting at the table next to his, and she is in the midst of caterwauling, which I'm going to guess means, you know, she's just singing a bit without any kind of musical accompaniment. A Nightcrawler bamfs in for a cup of crack coffee, and hopefully this isn't the stuff from Fauna's butt, uh, now, as Nightcrawler guzzles, uh, Legion calls in. He reminds Kurt that he should be working on, I don't know, the enforcement of the Make More Mutants law. Hmm? Okay. Uh, Legion says to leave Onslaught to him. He's got that all under control. And we can see that he is at the after-after party, which is still raging on planet Araco. Nightcrawler wonders to how to even start doing this. How do you make people make more mutants, Right. And Nemesis is there, and he's like, you know, I could splice a Rugrat together using any two mutants on the island, but the Quiet Council would likely accuse him of eugenics. And it's funny, I mean, isn't that how Legion was made in the first place? Didn't Xavier pick Gabriel Haller simply to make Legion? Same with uh, Mora and Joe McTaggart making uh, Proteus. Huh. Nemesis then talks about how uh, baby-making isn't really anything special, just uh, wet, sticky stuff that... Uh, the people seem to dig. But by now, Nightcrawler has bamfed away. Let's go back to Mars. Legion is approached by Pixie, who needs a favor. You see, her friends Mercury and Loa really want to... They want to do it. They want to bang. Um, but Loa's powers go out of control when she's overexcited, which resulted in Mercury having her left hand shredded clean off. So they're going to have to get a little bit creative if they want to... You know, bang. Now, Pixie mentions that Blindfold, which is a Legion's, you know, former lover who has passed, uh, Blindfold had told her that she and Legion would do something different when being intimate. And so she wants to see if David can maybe lend her pals a hand. And, uh, you know, no pun intended. Uh, we did lose a hand in this scene. Back to Nightcrawler. Now, Kurt is at his lookout point, and he sees a cloaked figure handing out condoms. That's certainly not going to help the Make More Mutants cause, now is it? So, Kurt bamfs down, tackles the contraceptive pusher, only to discover that... Well, it's been spoiled for us in the roll call. It's Stacey X. Um, now, this could have been a lot more fun had it not been spoiled, but... Oh, well, that's the, uh, that's the world we live in these days. 
Now, Kurt, uh, he calls her Stacy X. He actually calls her Stacy X instead of just Stacy, which, I mean, I could get pedantic about and say it feels unnatural. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, it does. But Stacy is such an obscure character, I think we almost have to allow it. And, you know, I mean, we're just reading this, right? We don't know what they're actually saying. We can't hear their voices, so... I wonder, I mean, is she still being called Stacy X? Or in this post-Hickman Hoxpoxy run, is she now Stacy 10? <clears throat> Never mind. Uh, now, Kurt takes issue with the uh, birth control. Stacy wonders if Kurt has somehow become even more Catholic. And yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Um, my wife and I were married in the Catholic Church. Uh, and we actually had to attend a series of classes about how not to use birth control. Yeah. Um, anyway, Stacy reminds Kurt uh, of, you know, the balls-out party they just had And also the constant balls-out party that Krakoa is Even on a day that doesn't feature a fetish gear gala So yeah, someone's got to be the responsible one here Otherwise, there'd be just countless babies being born every single day And that's an excellent point And it really makes you think about how the Quiet Council's laws They're kind of short-sighted Right? I mean, we see them say something like, make more mutants, right? And of course, that's the polar opposite of no more mutants, kinda, right? Sorta, kinda. And we see it as a thing that makes makes sense. It makes perfect sense, right? You'd want there to be more mutants. And uh, due to the perception that we're given in this run, I mean, we know we have like a quarter of a million uh, mutants living on Krakoa. We only ever see like a couple dozen of them, right? So... We're thinking, okay, well, there's these mutants we see all the time. If one or two of them get pregnant, that's two new babies. What we're not taking into consideration is that there's a lot of people on this damn island. So if they really get down to it, boy, howdy, that's a lot of babies. So, um, you know, we think about it in the micro, and then when it's presented to us in the macro like this, it really uh, opens your eyes. Because how do you even have the infrastructure for something like that? Do the mutants have an infrastructure for that? Well, maybe we'll find out. Now, Stacy then escorts Kurt to a place called The Bower. And it's basically a brothel. Which, I mean, makes sense considering where we found Stacy back during the, uh, <laughs> the Joe Casey run. The uh, very unsubtle Joe Casey run. Now, it's worth noting here that Stacy lost her powers on M-Day. So, in the interim, she either died or she went through the Crucible because her powers are back here. I want to say the last time... We saw Stacy, and this is a uh, this is something that I had researched for a fake ass comics history back when we did, boy, either Children of the Atom number one or number two when they had the Hell's Bells there, because we had um, one of the Hell's Bells. I don't remember which one uh, went to a like a support group for uh, for non human passing mutants and those who have uh, lost their powers. It was in a Domino annual. Um, probably from right before Hoxbox, I would imagine, maybe twenty, early 2019, late 2018. And uh, Stacy X was uh, one of those, uh, one of the participants in that support group, and uh, she was without powers then. So we have to assume that between then and now, she either died and came back, or, well, she crucibled. Maybe we'll find out. Then again, maybe uh, maybe we won't. Um, now, Nightcrawler takes issue with this place being a cat house of sorts, and uh, Stacy slaps him in the face. And I tell you what, it's a lot more dynamic a shot than when Sage slapped a beast a few episodes back. Uh, I can tell you that much. 
Now, Nightcrawler is worried that this, uh, this whole endeavor here might put a crimp in his mission to unite mutants. And Stacy kind of just shakes her head at this notion and asks him to come with her into the next room. Back to Mars. Um, Loa and Mercury are about to, uh, you know, do it. They are unsurprisingly uncomfortable, what with uh, Xavier's creepy high-haired son and Pixie looking on. Also, we have uh, the uh, odd Zorn brothers lingering in the background. Uh, I want to say we saw them last issue as well. Anyway, Loa and Mercury lay down, and David begins his hoodoo. And uh, we're taken inside their minds where their physical forms kind of meld together. Now, at this point, Mercury in the real world starts muttering no. And so, David thinks it's a, it'd be a great idea for he and Pixie to head inside the psychic sexy time to see what's up. Now, what they see, and hear, are Loa and Mercury's innermost feelings and secrets that they'd never dare tell. Now, this level of intimacy has caused so much of what they keep hidden to come bursting out. And it's a case of, you know, good people having ugly thoughts, you know, thoughts that we don't want other people to know that we have, and uh, very, very human, right? I mean, we all have, uh, we all have thoughts that we're, that we don't want people to know about. We all have thoughts that we're ashamed of having, you know? It's uh, just a, a part of the human experience. Oh, also, there's a monster in here. <laughs> and it, uh, it bursts out of the proceedings and uh, bursts into the real world and takes off. Meanwhile, Mercury and Loa have woken up, and, uh, well, now they hate each other. They think each other are uh, sick, twisted, disgusting. Uh, you know, easy come, easy go. Now, Pixie wonders if David planned this whole thing as a way to bait that weird monster into showing itself. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically exactly what he did. Back to Krakoa. Now, Stacy has brought Kurt into a nursery. Hmm, so the Make More Mutants thing is happening. Well, sort of. Uh, sure, we've got babies being born. Uh, there are several babies here. But the procreators are just abandoning the tots here. Now, Stacy says they probably get a new baby added to the uh, nursery every week. And uh, Nightcrawler is, as you might imagine, he's kind of speechless. Stacy suggests that if uh, mutants are going to be a, a society, it, it isn't babies that they need. Uh, they simply need to give a damn about one another. And, well, she's not wrong, is she? Uh, Kurt then notices that our new friend Lost is tending to the tots. Now, Stacy reveals that Lost's real name is Marinette. She was a homeless woman in New Orleans who lost her powers during the <laughs> Wanda-geddon, which is a great term, and this rendered her in constant pain. We know Lost is misshapen. She is stretched out, elongated. You gotta imagine, without her powers and still in that shape, that's a painful experience, isn't it? Well, now, of course, we saw Lost go through the Crucible. We saw her reborn. We saw her repowered. So she is repowered, and she's living in paradise. So, sky's the limit, right? She could do anything she wants, but what she chooses to do is remain here and tend to the babies. Now, Lost's gravity powers, you know, the ones that make people throw up, they don't affect the babies because their inner ear bones haven't formed yet, so this might just be a best-of-both-worlds situation. Then, from another room in the brothel, Fabian Cortez is tossed out on his ass by a, um, mutant of the evening, I suppose we can call her. Now, it's implied here that Fabian wanted this woman to, <laughs> to dress up like Magneto before they got down to business. Or, at the very least, wear Magneto's helmet slash Wolverine's toilet while they did it. 
Now Cortez is ticked off, and he shouts, you know, this is no way to treat me. I am I used to rule the acolytes. And hearing the word acolyte triggers something in our friend Lost. She totally takes exception to this and then uses her powers to slam Cortez to the ground. Well, Fabian shakes it off and then lunges for Lost's throat, at which point her gravity powers just start going into overdrive, which threatens to pull the entire place down on itself. Just then, Legion, Pixie, and the Zorns show up, and we can see that Lost is currently being affected by Onslaught. She's like in the shadow of Onslaught's massive frame here. Pixie manages to put her to sleep before too much damage can be done. And as the dust settles, Legion and Kurt leave to go get a drink. Info page. It's uh, an excerpt from the Book of Redacted. Um, Dr. Nemesis uh, refers to Onslaught as a, quote, unique etheric chimera, which is a pretty interesting take on it. Uh, Kurt wonders if Onslaught's presence might mean that Xavier and Magneto have already been compromised, which is uh, definitely a question worth being asked. Later at the Green Lagoon, Dazzler turns the stage over to Gerhart. Now, I assumed that Gerhart was a celebrity I was supposed to know, but didn't. Um, but actually, Gerhart is a uh, mutant composer of music. Now, he first and last appeared in Daredevil number 249. Now, I would do a fake-ass comics history on the fella, considering he is quite obscure, but uh, all we saw of him in that issue of Daredevil was... His corpse. Um, he was killed by Bushwhacker, who had been contracted by the Marauders as a lead-in to the fall of the mutant storyline. In that issue, uh, Wolverine discovered Gerhardt's body, and on the wall was scrawled, It ends as it began, violent, mysterious. So, uh, there's a fake-ass, fake-ass comics history on Gerhardt. Anyway, Stacy and Pixie, they're, they're all at the bar here. They talk about sex, intimacy, reproduction... Basically giving us our one to grow on for the issue. That's, you know, what they come down to is it's all about finding balance. You know, being part of something bigger while also retaining individuality. And I mean, that is something we've been talking about since Way of X began, right? The feelings of community, but also feeling like you are yourself. Um, I mean, it's still a great point. It's still good to talk about now. Now, we wrap up the issue with Dr. Nemesis asking Dazzler for a dance. And she obliges, despite the fact that his head looks friggin' disgusting. Next episode, we wrap up the gala and the fourth volume of X-Factor. But for now, let me try to control myself from uh, gushing too much about this issue of Way of X. Really, really digging this still. Um, I will say, for one thing, um, the ending with the uh, expositional explanation from uh, Stacy and Pixie here, kind of spelling everything out for us. I feel like that might have been a little unnecessary. I think uh, if we're following this book, we're kind of all smart enough to pick up on the themes and uh, exactly what it is that, you know, we're supposed to be getting out of this book. And there are a lot of tasty bits in this book, right? Um, I mean, the short-sightedness of the Quiet Council and the Make More Mutants uh, request or demandment. Um, you don't really think about it. Or at least I didn't. I never stopped to think about it. Um, I think out of the three, out of the three laws, the only one I pay attention to is the nebulously worded "kill no man" because sometimes it's kill no man, sometimes it's kill no human, and uh, it feels like it's whatever whatever the story calls for is what it's going to be, and that's the one I've focused on. Things like make more mutants. I mean, what have we seen so far? We saw that uh, what's his face, uh, Omerta, and. Uh, 
what's your face, uh, Sparks or Stinger, Stinger, Stinger from the Alliance of Evil. We found out that they had a baby over in Cable. The baby was kidnapped by the, uh, you know, the cult of Cables. Um, that's all we really knew about procreation. Uh, Rogan Gambit talked about it briefly, but then decided, to, you know, they weren't going to do it just because they were told to. We never really thought about it. It was never really brought up uh, much outside of some of Nightcrawler's, uh, you know, concerns and ramblings. So here to see it, it's interesting. It's very interesting because um, one of the main themes of this book, at least that I'm getting from it, is the concept of the individual versus the collective. You know, how do you maintain your own individuality when you kind of give it all away to be part of something bigger? Right? That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of our one to grow on for this issue and, and in part for the series. Here we have like the very definition of um, like the it takes a village mentality here where people are having babies, leaving them in a nursery for uh, like a communal child rearing, right? It's very, very interesting to uh, consider that like are these babies being born out of love? And if not, does it matter? You know, I mean, we could go into a deep, deep trench of a conversation talking about that, but we won't because that's, uh, you know, that's outside the scope of this uh, this series of programs. But, um, I mean, it, it does beg the question here. Are people, are people doing this to adhere to the demandment? Are they doing it because they have nothing else to do? I mean, we've seen Krakoa as something of a free love society. You know, people are dancing. They're, they're just uh, cavorting. Uh, right after Xavier was murdered in X-Force number one, there's still, a, you know, a people dancing around the bonfire. So it does beg a lot of questions about just how Krakoan society acts and behaves. And, uh, I mean, a character like Stacey X is probably the perfect one to bring in to uh, put, a, put a magnifying glass up to this. I mean, we've got Kurt, who's a little bit disturbed that she's giving out contraceptives, but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of bored <laughs> mutants there, and uh, and and it's you know it's worth noting. Maybe it's worth noting. I I can't say for certain, but I've mentioned a time or two before that I have done a little bit of a work on an Age of X lapsed series, uh, taking a look at the Age of X Men um, sort of kind of event. That uh, was in the middle to end of the Rosenberg run of uh, Uncanny. And that was a sexless world, right? That was a world where where sexual intimacy or just about any type of uh, romantic um, physicality was against the law. And, I mean, it's nebulous as to how many folks who were whisked away to X-Men's Utopia... Remember it. I know Kurt was there. He had his own title, the you know the Amazing Nightcrawler. It was a play on the Amazing Spider-Man, where he was a a celebrity of sorts. Now we do know from X Factor that uh, North Star remembers his time in the Age of X-Men. So part of me wonders if this is kind of a you know a pendulum swing. There we go. We have all these characters who were in this just sexless society who suddenly. Don't have any restrictions, you know, where everybody's just uh, dancing around, everybody's happy, everybody's ready to go, and uh, part of me wonders if this might be, at least in part, a reaction to that. In keeping with the uh, the sexy time subject here, we did have that scene of uh, Mercury and Loa perhaps becoming a little too intimate, and uh, it's an interesting examination of... Uh, you know, just how guarded everyone can be, even when you're with someone you want to be 
as close as possible with, there there's still thoughts that you that you keep inside, thoughts that are only your own, um, that you don't want anyone to know that you have. And uh, we see that play out here. I mean, it was done in to facilitate the manifestation of a weird monster of sorts, but, uh, I mean, the point is well taken here, that they, they come out of their, you know, their psychic sexy time, and they don't like what they see. You know, the magic is gone. The mystery's gone. They They know each other's innermost thoughts, which I think we might be able to take, and this could be a reach. <laughs> this might be a reach, but you know me, I see symbols where they don't where they don't exist. But those secrets, those unspoken thoughts, might be representative of one's individuality. You know, they're something that you keep to yourself. That's something that isn't part of a greater whole. It's just a part of you. No one else has access to those thoughts here. But when you strip things away, and when you, when two become one, which they very much do uh, psychically in this, we see them kind of twist together. At the end of it, they are just one mass, one like orb of Mercury Loa. You know, when you do let yourself go and become part of something else, there aren't any secrets anymore. Everything that you held in, everything that everyone held in, becomes just known. Um, and we can see how ugly things are, right? Uh, I think it was, I think Pixie said, uh, you know, these were good people with ugly thoughts. And uh, I do wonder if that's, you know, a commentary on the hive mind of Krakoa, the loss of individuality in pursuit of this new mutant world order. It's, uh, it's a lot to consider. It's a lot to consider, and I've probably spent too much time uh, talking about it here. Um, what else? Let's let's shift it over. Let's shift it over to uh, Onslaught. I'm happy that this is still bubbling in the background here. Um, now, as I've mentioned uh, over the past few episodes, I've been going outside my comfort zone <laughs> and trying to like uh, broaden the uh, just the the reach of this program here. And I'm asking folks on various groups, you know, their thoughts on these. Uh, on these issues and these topics and these themes here, and I try to do so in a way where I don't spoil things for myself, as is evidenced by how annoyed I was that last episode's reveal was spoiled for me, and uh, also that next episode's uh, reveal was spoiled for me as well. But I, I like to take the temperature of the community and of the uh, of the fandom, so I'll ask questions about certain bits and pieces, uh, notably, you know, the big three, you know, Mora being a mutant, the Resurrection Protocols, the Crucible. Those are like the big three that I always kind of, I kind of start with because I think those are the first, the biggest shoe drop moments of this entire uh, era. And so while attempting to collect some thoughts on uh, Way of X, it's uh, being heavily implied that the Onslaught one-shot that we're going to be getting in several months might be, unfortunately, the end of this series. I haven't found any, you know, rock-solid confirmation of that yet, but uh, if that's the case, that's uh, that bums me out quite a bit because this this is a solid book. And, you know, in fairness, I don't know how, how long a book like this can keep up its quality because, I mean, it is the niche of a niche of a niche, right? So I suppose we uh, just keep our fingers crossed and, and hope for the best. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe this will continue into the uh, foreseeable future. But uh, 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, as we say, anytime a book is rumored to be canceled, I'll mention the uh, you know the rumored setup of this entire run was supposed to be a lot of shorter ongoing series, which would be you know canceled and then shifted into other things, you know, over and over until the story plays out. Except for Excalibur, which for some reason won't go anywhere. But um, I think that's probably all I got to say about this issue. I very very much enjoyed it. Uh, the art here was fantastic as well. A lot of excellent questions being asked here, uh, bringing Stacy X back and actually being subtle with her. Not, you know, this isn't the Joe Casey uh, Stacy X. This isn't the Chuck Austin Stacy X. This is uh, this is good stuff, and she makes perfect sense to be uh, Nightcrawler's foil in this uh, in this situation. Not only do they have history together, being teammates, but they also have very different outlooks on um, this current situation. Stacy has it more as an independent thinking sort of endeavor, where Nightcrawler is all about the uh, communal aspects of this here. Uh, the law says make more mutants, so make more mutants. I'm really, really digging it. I, I hope this series continues into the future, but uh, again, I guess we'll see. Now, before we go, let's hop into the mailbag here. we got a couple of letters to attend to. Uh, the first one's from Damien. He is talking about X-Men number 20. Which is, uh, you know, the big finale before the finale, right? Um, Damien says, This is the stuff we want. At last, Mystique is back and she's going to ignite an inferno. I know it's referenced that Mora has the Destiny diaries, but surely she must know that Destiny will have warned Mystique about Krakoa. Huh. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Does Mora's plan require the taking down of Magneto in the trial and Xavier in Inferno? Otherwise, treating Mystique so cruelly seems overly careless. It's not like she's never gone rogue and put revenge ahead of every other connection. Xavier and Magneto must know it isn't fun to bait Mystique. It's a dangerous game. Now, wonderful, wonderful points there. I never considered... I mean, we saw Mora reading the diaries, right? We did see that at the end of 20. And it must stand to reason that there is at least a little bit written about Mora in these diaries, um, as well as, uh, and I mean, we don't know what kind of an archivist Destiny is. Um, it reminds me of that of an episode of The Office where uh, it's revealed that Dwight has um, multiple diaries because he keeps secrets from some of them. <laughs> and I wonder if that's how Destiny works, where, you know, Destiny telling Mystique about... Krakoa and burning it down and all that stuff. Maybe that's not in the the journals that Mora has. Otherwise, I mean, like Damien says here, this is a dangerous game, and why, why would you even allow Mystique to live? I mean, Mystique died during Hoxpox on the raid on the Orcus satellite. Maybe just don't bring her back. You know, um, it's it's interesting, very interesting stuff here. Now on to Damien talking about taking down both Xavier and Magneto, like. Basically at the same time, because Inferno and the Trial of Magneto, they do overlap a number of months here, which, if this is the way they're going to do it, if if this is all about uh, Mora taking the two down a peg, I think that's the only way I can <laughs> reconcile the fact that they're happening more or less concurrently. Because I look at these things and I'm like, okay, event after event after event, but if there's a storyline reason for it, I'm all about it. And so uh, I think you've given me a new new lease on life <laughs> in so far as not dreading these things because, I mean, we cover the solicits here every month and it's like 
This story will shake Krakoa to its foundation. No, 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 this story is going to shake Krakoa to its foundation. Wait, 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 no, 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 this story, <laughs> every damn story, threatens to shake this place to its foundation. But if Inferno and uh, Trial of Magneto are, are timed this way on purpose, then yeah, that's fine by me. I'm, I'm totally down with it. Damien continues. On to the Orcus Forge. I kind of don't care. <laughs> yes, Nimrod has been reintroduced, but we know he's not going to follow the logical plan of working his way back to Earth to kill all mutants. We know that's got to wait until at least the third act of Hickman's run, and we'll probably mainly focus on unnamed background mutants. I can't get excited about this specific element of the plot. It doesn't get you like Mystique's Revenge. And yeah, your, your point is very well taken here. Um, what I took away from this is just, uh, it's another instance of the mutants making their situation so much worse. Um, it plays into ideas like fate, you know? Um, are these things destined? I mean, destiny is a huge part of this in the background. Are all these things destined to happen here? Um, had, they, had they not sent Mystique up there to do what she did, we would have had a Nimrod with um, morality, with humanity. But instead... That one had to go, and now we have the cold and calculating, you know, kill-all-mutants Nimrod. It's just another case of the X-Men making their situation so much worse and, you know, veering into their feared future instead of uh, further away by, by any means that they try. So it's, uh, that, that really spoke to me because that just plays into, plays into so many things that we discuss here on the show. But as a story, it's... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite grab you the way Mystique's does. Maybe it's the urgency of the Mystique situation in comparison with the Nimrod one, or maybe it's just like, who cares, it's a robot? <laughs> I don't know. Damien wraps up with, anyway, until Marvel launches a robot apocalypse on the X-Men, make mine X-lapsed. And, uh, well, robots might be next. I mean, we did the zombie thing, we've done the vampire thing, we did the, we're doing the alien thing constantly, so uh, I think robots are the... Are the only boring thing left to send to uh, to Krakoa, and uh, hey, Nimrod might be leading that charge. But thank you so so much, Damien. I always look forward to hearing from you. Speaking of which, we got a message from Evan talking about Wolverine number eleven. Evan with eleven. Um, now he says your observation about the strangeness of the Avengers not getting involved with the vampire killings is even more spot on than you might realize. I'm a few months behind reading on Hoopla and Marvel Unlimited, but Blade is a full-fledged member of the Avengers, and the building of the Vampire Nation has been an ongoing subplot of that series. Granted, the Avengers have been busy lately with, here's an odd-sounding spoiler, the new Star Brand, and also Moon Knight taking over the world, and also some cosmic firebird you might have heard of. But, you know, at least a panel of Blade going, hey, thanks for cleaning up Minnesota, seems like it should be warranted. Oh boy, Avengers sounds like a, uh, kind of a busy book. Um, I've only looked at it for the first part of the Enter the Phoenix storyline, and uh, boy, I was I was very very uh, clueless <laughs> as to what was going on there. I did uh, I, I shared this on the uh, in the Facebook group my little I'll buy that for a dollar video of the books I picked up for a buck uh, over the weekend. I did pick up the rest of the Enter the Phoenix storyline just to have it in case in case we ever ever need it. <laughs> Who knows if uh, we're still doing the Essential X lapsed in. The year 2045 or so, we might actually get to that one, but uh, eh, fingers crossed, right? But even so, it feels like, uh, like you said, you know, 
maybe just a comment would be warranted here. It feels like uh, we've kind of been trained that when these uh, national or global crises happen, that we're going to get an appearance from the Avengers, we're going to get an appearance from S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's going to be a bigger deal. So the formation of a vampire nation just happening in a Wolverine book, with Wolverine and a warrior nun being the only people against it, it feels kind of weird. Evan continues, As for Omega Red, his kindler, gentler nature could be explained by everybody getting a clean, sl- clean slate, easy for me to say, on Krakoa, and him still being looked at as a villain. Or maybe when he got resurrected, somebody tweaked something to make him a more sensitive fellow. And I guess, yeah, that's as, a, that's as good a theory as any, right? Uh, maybe he's just tired of being viewed as a monster. I, I really couldn't say. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll find out more as we continue. Um, now Evan wraps up with, And with the return of Louise, is Percy or anyone else finally going to acknowledge Wolverine's secondary mutation of triggering lust in every woman he meets? Even a warrior nun. Now, this reminds me of, uh, of a little story here. Uh, one of my wife's friends is uh, not so much a fan of X-Men comics, but did enjoy the movies. Uh, a big fan of Deadpool. Um, asked me a bunch of questions about Deadpool. Also watched one of the recent X-Men movies. I, I, I feel like there's been like 40 X-Men movies, that I, you know, none of them that I've seen. But the topic of uh, Wolverine, Scott, and Jean came up. And now she didn't know that they're in this weird, you know, thruple right now. But uh, when I told her that they were, it didn't surprise her any. Because I guess even in the movies, Wolverine is uh, irresistible. (laughs) And it's like, nobody can resist this hairy, smelly little fellow. It's it's very strange. But yes, your point is well taken. Uh, Even a warrior nun (laughs) has lust in her eyes for... uh, for Wolverine. Weird, weird stuff. I wonder if we'll ever see her again. Who knows? But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Evan. I always look forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of news here. Well, kind of news. Um, it was announced that in October, there's going to be another Marvel's Voices. So uh, we probably be covering that here on the show. It's a Marvel's Voices Community, or Communidad, number one. And this takes a look at uh, Hispanic characters and creators. And looking at the cover, I think it's the cover, it's a promotional image in any event, we do have Sunspot here. But he doesn't get a mention in the blurb, uh, so whether or not we'll be seeing a Roberto da Costa story or a story featuring any characters that we follow here on the show, uh, I guess that'll remain to be seen. We'll continue to follow this story as it breaks, I suppose, and um, I'll throw it on the DCBS order, you know, just in case it's better to be safe than sorry. But that's going to do it for today. Um, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you can find me quite easily. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline at 623-396-JERK. Now for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearth.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook. Just search for the group 90sXmen. And finally, for the complete archives and all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for allowing me to be a small part of your day today. It really, really means the world to me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.
deep inside your heart. 